Hello, and welcome to Decent Jobs on a Living Planet, an environmental podcast where we talk to people, from experts to activists, about just transition and what it means from a Scottish perspective. The term just transition originates from trade unions. So what does it mean? We know that fossil fuels are fueling the climate crisis and we need to move away from them. However, fossil fuel industry is a major player in Scottish and UK society and economy. There are 30,000 people directly employed in the UK offshore oil industry, a further 70,000 in domestic supply chains, and thousands more living in communities heavily reliant on the fossil fuel industry. How do we make a transition away from fossil fuels in a way that is just for workers, communities and the planet? With the global pandemic and economic turmoil, the context of discussions around just transition are hugely different now. While jobs in many industries are looking precarious, jobs in the fossil fuel industry are more precarious than ever and workers' rights have come to a forefront. Talking about a just transition is therefore more important than ever. In this episode, we speak to Ryan, Friends of the Air Scotland's Just Transition campaigner. This interview was recorded at the end of last year. Although things have changed a lot since then, we think this interview gives some important insights into the concept of just transition. Hi, so first of all, can you tell me a little bit about your job? So I'm the Just Transition campaigner at Friends of the Air Scotland. They work mostly with the Just Transition Partnership here in Scotland um, and kind of working on broadly um, our work around bringing about a managed phase out of North Sea oil and gas and making sure that happens fairly. How would you define a Just Transition? The concept really comes from recognising that the people that suffer um, the impacts of climate change are always those who are the most vulnerable and the least responsible. And that's true on an international scale for those who face the impacts of climate change, just as much as it's true on a domestic scale with those who live near the infrastructure and suffer from air pollution. It's about recognising that the people who drive climate change are largely the very wealthy and the most aggressive um, in their approach. So knowing that any sort of energy transition that would see us responding to the climate crisis properly, if left to the market, would leave people who are currently in those industries working and the communities that depend on those completely isolated um, and left behind in ways that we've seen before with energy transitions, um, like with miners and other industries like shipbuilding. So it's about recognising that if we want to reframe the way um, our economy works to address the climate crisis, that should happen with people behind it too. It shouldn't come at the expense of those jobs and those workers because that would be letting the people most responsible for the damage get away with yet more injustice. So I think we're going to know a little bit about the Just Transition Commission in Scotland and how does that work? Yeah, so um, a bit of background to that would be that in 2016, Friends of Scotland and the Scottish Trade Union Congress got together to form the Just Transition Partnership. Um, that's a mixture of uh, environmental organisations, Friends of Scotland and WWF Scotland are there, and then several unions including Unite, um, and uh, PCS um, and Unison and a couple of others as well um, and really the first thing that that group came together to 
ask for was a Just Transition Commission. And the idea behind that would be that this commission would sit um, in a sort of monitoring role around how the transition is being managed. It would be able to offer recommendations and be able to say where things are going badly and where gaps are that could encourage things to happen properly. Um, and really quite quickly, considering it's only been up for about a year, the Scottish Government announced that they would do a Just Transition Commission. Um, so the commission now is set up, but it's got a it's got a really short two-year lifespan. Um, so it's not the way that we'd envisaged it. Um, but it does have voices from industry, it does have environmental voices, it does have trade union voices, it does have academic voices. So it's, it's, in, a, it's in a decent enough shape. It's just the structure with it that... Um, doesn't quite do everything we'd hoped. So the commission, the sort of work plan for the commission is a two-year one and they're meeting in places around Scotland to talk about specific sectors. So there's like a session on agriculture, there's a session on oil and gas, there's a session on land use, um, and basically the commissioners um, bring people in to give evidence, uh, they ask them questions and then they produce um, a report at the end of the two-year work plan. That's the kind of intention behind it. So. I think by the end of, by early 2021, we should have a report from the Just Transition Commission that says, we spoke to all these experts in our sectors, this is where the jobs would be, this is where the jobs currently are, and ideally what we hope it would say is, this is how we make the move. Mm. Um, so the one, I mean, the one thing that's really lacking from those two things is, well, how do we do it quicker, and how do we do it in a way that matches the climate emergency, and that would be our main criticism of what it's been up to so far. Right. And had you been hoping that it was going to be longer? The time span is a real worry. Yeah. Like the, the transition won't happen in two years and it's not possible to do it properly in two years. So mm-hmm. um, when we were talking about it and when we've worked on trying to get it amended, we've been talking about it being tied to however long our climate change targets are. So at the minute, the Climate Change Act has targets to 2045. And we basically just said that that's, that's for how long a commission should exist for. As long as we have these climate targets, the, climate, the Just Transition Commission should be there advising and overseeing whether or not that transition is improving social inclusion mm. and whether or not it's leaving people behind. So I think tying into this, what is it like working towards just transition um, from an environmental organisation's perspective? Um, it was one of the main reasons I went for the job um, when like, I was working before from an environmental organisation and the opportunity to work on something that so closely aligns social and environmental justice in this way um, was just massive. Like I'm from Paisley and my entire family's from Middlesbrough. Um, like I'm well aware of what happens when industries are like callously cut off. Um, and the idea of that happening again, just, is just devastating. And so being able to do that from the environmental perspective brings together so much of my politics that being able to do that is a total privilege and it's one of the few organisations that has that as a sort of paid role, particularly for an environmental organisation, so I think it's a great thing. I don't know if that really answered that question. Well, that's okay because we have another question. Oh, great. Um, It is a great answer to the question because it shows that you're, like, really passionate about what you do. Like, day-to-day in your job, what do you do normally as part of this role? Oh, um, very, very different things. Uh, I mean, today was spent writing a press release. Uh, responding to a proposal from some of the parties around the general election, but it really does vary. So there can be really um, like procedural administrative stuff, like getting things booked, organising meetings, like uh, finding venues, paying invoices, that sort of thing. But 
Um, there's also a lot of just research, um, policy development, campaigning, a bit of strategizing, kind of looking at where we need to go, um, what we're currently not looking at, what's also growing that we're not responding to, and um, how we best shape what we're saying to to make sure it's really having the impact it needs to have and who we need to be saying it to and who we're not currently saying it to. So the, the day-to-day is so varied that I, I really don't... I couldn't define it in any way. Uh, policy, campaigning, some media work, some meetings. Wow. Standardy campaigning things. Do you work closely with trade unions for your role as well? Yeah, so obviously through the... like when it, talking about the Just Transition Partnership like they're, um, we're allies in this like we work together on it um, and that's that's also a real benefit like it would be doing it would be doing this concept and the idea of a Just Transition a total disservice if we were to do that without trade unions behind us that's like there is they have a legitimacy and a remit to talk and represent working people in these industries in a way that we just don't um, and so being able to work together on these things is critical and the po- real positive is that there's loads that we agree on and there's a lot of stuff about the way we see things looking in a, like a different world is um, very similar. Like, you know, there's much more um, government intervention, there's much less of a sort of free market approach to things, just leaving things to um, private interests. Um, and they also, majority of them get the climate emergency and it's becoming a bigger and bigger thing for them, particularly at the grassroots, I think, I mean, Unison in particular have totally embraced this, they recognise that this is a, it's a working class issue, it is, it's a class issue entirely, um, and so that's quite inspiring to watch as well, like, sort of watching people come into this and much different, now it's not just an environmental thing, um, and seeing the Scottish Youth Climate Strikes, like the most recent ones, there was a, there was a sort of Edinburgh Trade Union Council block representing and talking about just transition and that's that's pretty great yeah that's really great <laughs> <laughs> I mean there are things there are things we don't agree on yeah and there's like maybe a pace of maybe a pace of thing things there's there's specifics that maybe don't quite fit but it's partly to do with I think and I can understand why there's a reluctance because what's happened so far has been so badly managed that like we've gone from being entirely fossil fuel dependent to having, particularly in Scotland, a really high level of renewables and actually the, the jobs just haven't came from that, like the benefits to people just haven't followed and that's been through just the total enabling market-wise of constant outsourcing and the, the SDUC have a really great report called Broken Promises It kind of goes through like here's all the things that you were told, that we were told would happen and now there's an understandable reluctance to get fully behind this is a real positive so you can't necessarily say addressing this would be really great for working people because actually the, the lived experience is not the same mm. so yeah we, we we work on where we agree and the good thing is that that's a lot of stuff and i think that's powerful enough so we've also recently heard that there's another wind farm fabrication yard that's going to be closing can you talk to us a bit about that yeah so obviously um the five ready for renewal campaign picked up in a big way and it got a lot of attention and it kind of brought together a lot of the different perspectives on this. There was a local community that had sort of um, underused fabrication yard nearby that had previously been um, pride of the area 
you had the trade union who had been trying to support investment in the yard and to try and support getting work in there and then you also you had the workers themselves and then you had um, the government and the environmental organisations looking at these renewable projects and what happened in the BIFAB case was that um, EDF Energy effectively decided to instead of building jackets for offshore wind turbines 10 miles from this site that they would be placed they decided to put that um, to a manufacturing yard, yard in Indonesia um, and the company that they went to is a company called Saipem there's real concerns around how they use how their facilities are run in these areas and there's obviously environmental impacts of shipping one jacket at a time from Indonesia to Fife repeatedly for around about 80 jackets it doesn't doesn't make sense mm-hmm. um, and so that that happened and there was a really powerful community and trade union led campaign that resulted in them being awarded some of the contracts but not all and so the hope is that that now can support that that, that the, the contracts they've been given now will hopefully support um, more work coming in and give them a sort of pipeline of work that can kind of keep bringing in the investment um, but unfortunately what has since happened in another another part of Scotland on the west coast in Campbelltown is that um, the, the UK's only onshore wind fabrication yard called CS Wind um, they do the towers, it's the only fabrication yard that does towers is uh, looking set to be closed down with a loss of around 70 jobs um, so that's another really poor example of how the transition's been managed, you know, it's another mm-hmm. here's this a renewable energy um, fabrication yard, it's doing good manufacturing work, it's skilled work um, and it's essential for us to be able to build the renewable energy that we need to meet the climate emergency and it's going to be closed at this really critical time for how we do that um, so Unite who are uh, the union there have been working hard to try and encourage that to stay open and looking to press where they can to look at any avenue whether or not there's maybe another another management company can come in or whether or not the Scottish government can step in um, and so the hope is that that isn't also going to go the way that BIFAB had looked like it was going to go but it, the fact that these are happening now so close together and that the, the Ready for Renewal got so much attention what I hope is happening now is that people are looking across the different yards and saying well that happened there for a reason it happened over here for the same reason this isn't just a case by case thing this is a systematic problem let's address it and I think when that, that, that did happen in the Ready for Renewal campaign and I think it could be really powerful if it's something that can be shared by people in CS Wind but we wait and see what's going to happen because I think some of the decisions haven't yet been finalised, it just looks quite likely at the minute. In your work, are you able to bring in any calls towards a global just transition? Yeah, so it's um, it's quite a criticism of um, sort of global north just transition narrative is that it often focuses on sort of domestic energy and domestic climate justice um, and so it's really important to always bring in the international context of that and that's partly by saying well the, this is going to meet our climate targets, we're going to do this to be able to do our share of what's needed, but also it's about making sure that as we do that there isn't more injustice internationally. Um, and so recently we had um, Lucio Cuenca um, from Chile over who was able to talk incredibly powerfully about what happens in Chile um, with mega mining and massive extraction projects that are just soaking up resources 
being sent to the global north to be used for renewable energy projects or electric vehicles and things like that. And Lucille spoke about a, a lithium mine in Escondida that uses the same amount of water per day as could be used for five million people. And that's in the midst of a drought in Chile. And it's just outrageous that that happens. But that demand is being fueled by global north desire for renewable energy technology and resources that they don't have um, themselves. So it's trying to address what it's trying to address our dependency on fossil fuels without suddenly switching to a dependency on renewables that relies on complete continued colonialist extraction of resources from the global south. And that's also that then we have to think about well we need to reduce supply, we need to change the way we live, then we need to make those necessary changes in time so that other countries are able to do mitigation work and adaptation work as well. Um, and so that that for me is kind of how we try and bring in the international just transition. I mean, there's there's a definition of just transition that um, is used in North America and some of Central America that's about kind of going from an extractive economy to a regenerative one. And that's sort of like, that's not just an economic thing, it's about actually just decision-making power. It's about taking that away from big central um, government, big central private organisations, businesses, and kind of localising that and giving indigenous groups their rights and protecting local knowledge and all of those kind of things as well. And these, these definitions are really critical and they're all part of what we're trying to think about. And we have a really specific context here that we try and work with, but that's part of our wider work on climate justice that we do kind of as an organisation. And so we are constantly trying to balance the two and make sure we do them both justice. And you, you often hear people talk about um, how Scotland should push on renewables because we could be a net exporter. Yeah. And that's just that continuation of like, well, we can, we can continue to benefit financially from the fact that we will need to use more and more of your resources to do that. And it's just not sustainable. I mean, so Scotland is in such a unique position in this context because it was so important for the Industrial Revolution, has so much of a role in oil and gas, but it also has so much renewable potential. And it also just could be doing so much more right now from its privileged position of wealth than it does. And if, if we do this wrong, then that will be the example that can be followed elsewhere as well. And that is the example that's been followed elsewhere and uh, making sure we avoid making those mistakes while we push for a just transition for workers and communities in Scotland is uh, complicated but essential. Yeah. I feel like all solutions, it's, it's not, it's not going to be simple and that's probably one of the reasons we're in the mess that we are right now but we need to make sure we do it right. Yeah, and be in contact with people in the Global South. Like, need to, like when Lucio came, it was incredibly powerful and he was able to spot, talk really directly about the experience and we should take the lead from people like him on what that is actually happening. Uh, how are you working with current policymakers to implement a just transition in Scotland? Um, we do a fair bit. We have a, we have a big new report um, in particular um, that looks at how we can make the energy transition and how, and how we target that. So it basically takes our oil and gas extraction ambition and contextualises that within the Paris Agreement 1.5 goal. So sort of industry ambition at the minute is to extract 20 billion barrels of oil and gas from the North Sea. That's every last drop. That's maximising economic recovery. And that's a commitment that's set in legislation. So every every time there's a new government, 
that is a current focus for them. They cannot change that without putting an amendment to legislation into Parliament. And it's also backed by the Scottish Government, even though it's a reserved matter, they're fully behind maximising economic recovery as a principle. Um, so yeah, the, the report then takes that 20 billion and looks at, well, how many barrels could we actually extract and use if we were to be doing our part for 1.5? And that figure comes out at sort of five and a half billion barrels, which is obviously significantly less than what the industry and government ambition is. And so then took that figure and it said, well, what do we need to do then to build up our energy supply enough to be able to transition that out? And what government intervention is it going to take? And then how do we do that in a way that can also create jobs and protect communities? And so it's kind of in three parts. The first part is the sort of here's the climate emergency, here's what we're contextualising, here's why we need to do it at the speed we're talking about. Um, and then it also looks at kind of fossil fuel subsidies. It looks at how much the industry is propped up, and that includes things like tax relief, decommissioning tax rates, like a really broad... Um, it takes a really broad look at all of the different benefits that are currently supported for an industry that is full of profit and puts very little back into the UK tax system. There was a couple of companies who had hundreds of million pounds worth of deficit in terms of what they received and what they got back. Um, in years in which they posted massive profits and it's just, it's a scandal um, but they do it through loads of different avenues like the decommissioning tax route cuts and things like that that it sort of looks a little bit less offensive to people on the surface um, so like we've been trying to take that report to policymakers as far as we can like we've been into parliament and we've been up at conferences and having public meetings with people as well and sort of sharing that message of like this is very much a possible thing. It's, it's about political will. It isn't that we don't we don't have we couldn't possibly get to our we couldn't do energy supply without oil and gas. That's not true. That's a question of political will. We couldn't do it or else we'd lose loads of jobs and it would hurt communities. That's not true. It's about political will. And also highlighting the total hypocrisy when we talk when certain people talk about the industry as being critical to the economy given how much it's propped up by taxpayers anyway. Um, and also having quite a, a reflective look on well, what does industry look like just now? It's increasingly insecure, automation um, and offshore workers um, are being put on worse terms um, and kind of looking at the health and safety issues as well and you know just sort of saying like understand the need and the desire to protect work that's here. This isn't a report that says we're going to shut it down tomorrow. This is a report that says we need to start planning a date that we're going to phase this out here's when that date should be, should be within the 5.5.6 billion barrels and here's how we can do that while ensuring secure energy supply and more jobs than are currently likely in the industry. So we take that as far as we can, that's our biggest engagement policy because it's really comprehensive. I mean it sounds really great, <laughs> it's like you've done all the work for them and all they need to do is um, listen to you. Yeah pretty much, unfortunately <laughs> that's sometimes what it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it does. Well, it sounds great. It sounds like a report that I should read. We have good summaries. Good. And uh, there's like a good sort of ten-page summary that looks at everything, and there's loads of very helpful graphs. Oh, um, if you don't want to read the full. The full thing's pretty good. I read the full thing. Have you? Yeah, it's good. Thanks. Summary for me. Uh, sorry, <laughs> this is the sea change report. Yeah, sea change. Um, our final question for you is: um, What are your hopes for the future? My hopes for the future. Um, well, what, what I want to see as quickly as possible is an end to this commitment to maximising economic recovery. That feels like a really significant moment if we can make it happen. And so 
the minute we get that out of legislation, the immediate question that follows is, well, when do we stop? Like, if we're not getting every drop, what's the date? And that's when we need to. That's when we'll be able to start having conversations with. Well, then it's a, it's a climate question. It's not an economic one. It's a climate one, and it's about Paris, and it's about one point five, and it's about climate justice. And I think I think there's enough popular support for that to be the case. And I think it makes sense. People do not understand governments continuing to talk about climate emergencies while at the same time supporting just reckless, endless extraction of oil and gas. Um, so that's like. That's a hope for the not too distant future, and I really see that. That's something that I hope can happen really soon. Um, longer term, I guess I really hope we can get workers behind the just transition narrative. I really hope we can build the message in such a way that it starts to really cut through in terms of like the current system doesn't work in any sense. Like in an energy sense, people are deeply unsatisfied with the big six energy providers. They pay too much, home energy insulation is really poor, like Scotland has a has a really poor um, energy efficiency in some houses, there are places in rural Scotland that just still aren't connected to the gas grid for instance, never mind being connected to a renewable grid, like there are changes that need to happen for people in a way that currently don't because that's not the way the market works. Um, and then also to see that like a bigger change in the way the economies run can create jobs and that that's a really good thing and we can structure all of these things in a way that works for the public good rather than working for profit and kind of corporate greed and that that's a much bigger message but I think with what with what we have and like the way people live just now and how how kind of life is I think that's something that's really that's ready to cut through like I, I think people are fed up with the way things are I think people do want to know that there is a different way and people are already buying into that like I there's, that's such a popular message already that um, I really hope that just transition can become part of that as well and people can start to get behind this as a broader change in the way things are organised it's not a very big hope for the future This podcast was brought to you by Young Friends of the Earth Scotland a network of young activists fighting for climate and social justice you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter This podcast is supported by the Erasmus Plus programme of the European Union with thanks also to Scottish Communities Climate Action Network.